Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way. Fire away, man. Fire away. Morning, deeds. Again. <laughs> Morning. Morning again. Okay, so the Nathan Thompson email, I will say the line that made me guffaw and laugh for maybe five minutes when I kept thinking about it was when he said that early episodes he felt were like guys having a surprisingly good conversation who had butt dialed the internet and left it on speakerphone. I just thought that description was so perfect. Um, and this, like the sound being so bad. And I, I, I found it very consoling to hear somebody say that they enjoyed those early episodes. Cause I always have this kind of background embarrassment. Like, should we just take those down? You know, um, Plus, I feel like we were all very young. It was seven years ago. Um, but I think now, shout out was, to Nathan. And what's his? He's married, right? I believe his wife's name is um, Elizabeth, and their beautiful little daughter. His name is Ozana. They're awesome. That's such a cool name. Yeah, big shout out! Thanks. That was uh, just. So other people listening may know, got some great feedback from Nathan. I would say his letter, um, it was super fun to, to read. And I, I, would, I would say probably um, was the most like complete and articulate um, synthesis of of the ethos of the cast that mm-hmm. I've, that I've read. Um, so it, it was like, it was sincerely appreciated. Very funny. Yeah. I was and... honored that, um, he took, we've been praising people for their thoughtfulness in their emails and they, they have all been very, very thoughtful, but, uh, that someone would take that much time and effort and thought to try to take us that seriously i don't know it was uh it was humbling in a, in the true sense like wow he has really listened and uh can see what he appreciates about it so clearly and then our, to take the time to articulate that um is a kind of taking of taking of the podcast more seriously than i've ever had anybody take it and i thought my first thought when i finished that reading it was all right, that will keep me podcasting for at least another year or two. You know? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. No big shout out there. I like the, and we could continue to talk about that, but there was a particular line that I loved in it um, that it also, it like connects very much in a way, at least in, in my own kind of thoughts of what I've been reading that, uh, Pope Benedict reader from word on fire. 
which is so good. It's like the it's a bunch of interviews uh, to start off with him and the is it Seewald guy? The I think it's the German um, journalist. But anyway, here here's the line, and he, he's just talking. He says that you've taken the everyday materials strewn about the world and used them to to preach the gospel, which I was so appreciative of of that. And that's what I meant, like starting with just. I think what we've at least tried to to do, or maybe just kind of a general, I would say like ethos for for all of us is no, like start exactly start with what's in front of you and just um, like talk about your life experience and how you feel things and what comes up and um, you know I think part of the beauty of like the formation that we were given in in friendship as as well is that like God's in all of that, you know, you don't like, um, you don't like try to insert God into that stuff. Like you find him, um, in just the everyday stuff of, of life, which is, it's just really cool, um, to reflect on like having some words on it, but anyway, and there, there's a little like pivot here, but there is Pope Benedict was talking about in, in this interview, um, I think it might have been around, I don't know if it was around like getting elected Pope or when, when he was um, the, in charge of the, the CDC. And CDF. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, that is, wow. Man, it shows how much COVID has infiltrated our Absolutely. vocabulary and thoughts. CDF, I sincerely apologize for that. Um, the CDF. How do we know he wasn't? He hasn't been in charge of the CDC though in his past. That's an accomplished guy. Okay, mm-hmm. he's he's got a diverse resume. That's true. Um, so he may have. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, he just made the basic point. Um, that it's it's just not a it's not a Christian thing to um to strive for a utopia just because it's impossible. And not, I mean, it, and you know, he, he talked about like different philosophies that try to do it and, and fail and everything, but he just used this beautiful language of the Christian thing is actually just try to try and bring a little bit more light into the world. Um, and I, that just meant a lot to me. It's a good reminder because I get, I get wrapped up all the time, man. And like parish work and life and, um, yeah, just busy life, which is, which is good, but you got to check yourself of like, Hey, you can't, you can't have your mentality be that like, you're going to solve everything and you're going to create this utopia. Um, and it, it, that's a major shift. At least, at least it has been for me of no, you, you do what you can and, um, like you work hard and, and you try to surrender everything, including where you're, you're gifted and, and try to orient like other people's gifts and talents as well to serve the kingdom of God. But, um, but you're not creating a utopia. You're, you're going and you're trying to bring as much light into the world as, as you can. Um, which is, you know, like that is bringing Jesus to, to people. Um, anyway, so the relation there was just in that line of, 
I, I think the way to do that, that at least I've um, found both fruitful for myself when I've experienced from others, but then also fruitful in um, maybe like the practice of it is, no, you just, you start with what's in, in front of you. You don't have to like make stuff up to, to do that. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I had a question came up. I, I don't know, Connor, if you wanted to say anything about that, because I got a, a question that I wanted to throw back to Rob. Do it. Is um, I just had the, the voice of Pat Metz, my dad, in the back of my head. Uh, and and it, the question is something like, um, and I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying, um, but how does that also not mean that we lower that it's that we're just lowering our expectations Mm. um where it's like well yeah we're still we're we're striving to bring about the kingdom of god um but your happiness it's also not uh dependent on things being perfect and i think that's something that we talk about quite a bit um so you don't have to perfectly bring yeah this utopia down to earth um, but at the same time, it, it doesn't mean that you just settle for like, well, you know, I, I guess I just kind of did my best there. Cause I don't think that's what Pope Benedict is saying. And I don't think that's what you're saying at all. Um, so how can we strive to bring like a little bit of that light and, and it also not being a type of like, yeah, just lowering of expectations, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's, i you know, I think if we answer that question, we become saints, honestly, <laughs> you know, is because the answer to it is discernment. Um, because it, that what's wrapped up in that question of like, yeah, how do you know what to focus on in a day? How do you know when to go to bed? Um, you know, and that's, um, it's exhaustive, man. You could work, you could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and and you still wouldn't be able to work hard enough to do that's all that's on your plate in whatever vocation. Like I'm pretty convinced of that, um, of just trying to, to meet the needs of the people, um, around you. And, um, so I, I don't have an answer, um, past that. I think that's actually kind of perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, it's well, one last thing there. Well, one last thing there. I mean, even that was what was was striking about this Benedict interview, too, of this. This might have been the part that he was talking about resigning the papacy Um, was like, you know, I think he got asked at one point if he in, in that process, if he had trouble sleeping at night and he laughed and said no, that he never has trouble sleeping like he'll he's uncompromising on on that because he has to. Um, and yeah, it's just, it was like, it was a good reminder of like, Hey, the Pope's got to get sleep at night. Um, no matter what's going on around him, he can't, he can't solve all the world's, um, troubles in, in a day, everything that comes through his desk. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Biz, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to go on like a five or 10 minute, diatribe um surprise <laughs> <laughs> good because i needed to get up and get some coffee so that been... <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> well, to go back to the original point about the line from Nathan's letter and the the postmodern thing, um, which maybe that should be our new tagline for the cast is uh, the church's answer to postmodernity. Is that what he said? We we were um, the the postmodern thing, at least the way I understand it, which is certainly not exhaustive, but um, is like that we all look at, it's kind of the subjective turn. Modernity had a subjective turn with, with Descartes and like, it's all about what I can know, you know, um, I am this ghost in the machine looking out at the world and trying to determine what's real. And it, I have reason to measure everything against, but it, it's still very deductive. Like you take first principles or theories, um, for granted, and then you reason from them. Uh, down to the realities on the ground, you know, so you'd go from the universal to, to the particular kind of, whereas in postmodernism, um, it's sort of like, okay, well, that didn't work because everybody's coming from a different perspective and you think reason is universal, like Kant, like, oh, well, I'll just, we'll all just get along if we get rid of like the things that are different, like religion or particular myths and just go after straight, pure reason. And then you end up with like multiple world wars and genocides and, um, realize human beings we there's something about us that's not able to simply float above the world and look down on it through our like theory glasses so there's there's the reality first is primary and everybody has a particular way of looking at their lives and and the realities in front of them um and you can easily fall into the relativism trap of like well everybody's perspective is just as valid as, as anyone else's um so there is no truth and you just end up with like all cultural mores are these conventions that need to be broken down because um, what what true freedom is, is like unlocking your your individual autonomy and like taking down every restraint so that you can act on every impulse. And we're now feeling the cost of that, which is a lot of misery and anxiety and depression, especially among hey. young people who don't know. Like, I'm totally free when I drink the same Starbucks coffee as everybody else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we end up like it's this oscillation between the universal objective thing where we do kind of want to be united by a dogma or an orthodoxy. Uh, like what is the unshakable, immovable truth? But then as you live your life, everything is so complicated and messy and doesn't fit into those categories. So you're like, well, maybe there is no universal truth. Like I think the Catholic answer has always been there's both. You know, reality is messy, and yet there is a universal meaning and structure to it that can be known either through reason or by revelation. Um, and so, yeah, I think the utopia thing can go on both sides. You know, there there are those who are trying to build a utopia without God and those who expect that if God is real, then he will make a utopia. Um like if the church is really the church, then it should never have made a mistake or um, things should be perfect the way I understand them to be perfect. And if there's not, then there's something fundamentally wrong with the church and uh, certain councils aren't real councils. And, and all, all of that kind of thinking kind of falls into the same, um, to me, utopianism, which is, uh, so I'm, I'm reading again, started over because we're going to try to do it for this book club later in July, the um, 
Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell. It's a political philosophy book. And I've mentioned this before, but he, he divides um, people's political, religious, philosophical, social philosophies into two basic tracks, the unconstrained vision and the constrained vision. Um, and they are basically what they sound like. The unconstrained vision or the constrained vision is that nature, human nature, human behavior, it's we're limited, you know, like we cannot transcend our nature. We are mostly selfish. The universe is mostly disappointing to our deepest desires. Like no matter how hard we try to build a perfect society or live a perfect life, like we're haunted by these imperfections and all you can really do in life is make trade-offs and um, like you can sacrifice certain desires uh, and be disappointed in them in order to have a greater happiness in some other area, you know, but you're never going to have everything that you want in this world, which I think resonates in Christianity. It's kind of Augustinian. Um, But then the unconstrained vision is like, no, the only thing keeping human beings from flourishing perfectly or even maybe living forever. Like Francis Bacon thought that, you know, kind of like, kind of like Ricky Bobby, it'd be insane with the pace of technology to think that I wouldn't live to 250. He, <laughs> like some of those scientists in the uh, 18th, 19th century really thought science was on the, on its way to curing death. Um, so the, the unconstrained vision is just like this, this perspective on the world that says human beings are unlimited. Um, and the only thing holding us back are bad institutions, bad conventions. And the more we break those down, the more human potential will will be unlocked and we'll live in this perfect world. And that, that's how you get a lot of the um, totalitarianisms of especially the 20th century. We're like, OK, well, we're trying to make the perfect society. So even if we have to kill millions of people to do it, uh, it's worth it. Um, and so you, you see that constrained vision rearing its ugly head again. Um, so my point is that I think, and this is of course, Vintage Through Dogs North, I've read like a 10th of the book and I've already decided what I think my point, my perspective on things is. But um, I think the Catholic vision is some, is some combination, you know, the Catholic and that we are both constrained. Like it, it is true that if you try to, um, stand above the world with your theories and say the world needs to be like this you know and if it doesn't fit i'm either going to ignore that or say that that needs to change before i'm able to accept it um then you will never really like participate in life you know like you were just kind of thrown into existence in your family in the world in the particular time and place that you live in and you can humbly accept that reality and strive like to be a little bit more light in the world or you can reject it and say no this isn't good enough and and um try to live in another reality that's not real or um you can say uh there is no real truth i guess like you know if god were real then none of this bad stuff would happen and um so you kind of fall into this sort of nihilism thing. I think the Catholic is like, you know, both God is real. And it's true that our, our human nature is kind of unlimited in the sense that you can become a saint, like you can become Christ through the grace of the sacraments, but only by grace, but unaided by grace and left to our own devices. We're never going to make the perfect government, perfect, uh, even church, 
on this earth like that that there is something about waiting till heaven to have all of your hopes fulfilled but that doesn't mean that you can't have some of them fulfilled now you know and i think that's the, the catholic answer to postmodernity is a great yes to reality as it is you know that it's okay and i was talking to a friend of mine who's talking about her family and how you know challenging has been over these years like just in the wounds and the traumas and all, all this stuff and she was home for a little bit and had one of these moments where just like look at this mess <laughs> these people in their lives and i love them but they're hurting themselves and each other and and she just said this is not how god wants it to be but it's okay and that just struck me as such a an enlightened and wise view of things you know like whatever it is that you see in the world that you hate and you wish weren't the case or that bothers you all the time. Um, I don't know. The Christian attitude is just is grateful for the gifts that we have, you know, and that's why it, there is a practical sense of what, what you're talking about with, um, with like being a little bit more light in the world and being a saint and discerning, like, what is it that God's actually asking me to do? I, he's not asking me to, uh, save the church, you know, which I think some of us young guys, when we came into the seminary, were like, oh, if you just did it this way, then churches would be full and we'd have vocations. And then we've been priests for a few years and we're like, um, never mind, don't count on me to save it. You know, it's harder than it looks. Uh, but then you can, once you, once you let go of that fantasy or that conceit, you can like actually do something. But more, than, more importantly, it's an attitude of heart, I think. Like when you live your life, is it always disappointing because it's not perfect or is it beautiful in spite of it being not perfect or sometimes even because it's not perfect? Like you can see the glory of God more clearly because we are so weak and, and sinful. Um, does that make sense? I think there are some, I guess one of, one of the things I'm reacting to practically is some people within the church who just see everything in the culture and God knows we are going far afield in many areas in the culture. And it's, it'd be hard to raise a family right now in schools and things like that. And keep, keep your kids like in the fold, um, on some very basic issues. But there is this doom and gloom I see, uh, among people that it's just like, oh man, we're going to be persecuted soon and we're going to have to go underground. And maybe that's true, but, um, we don't, we're not there yet. And I even think like the Edith Steins and the Maximilian Colby's who were actually getting rounded up and put in concentration camps, um, probably weren't sitting around years before and being like, well, I guess we just gotta, I wish I were dead. So we could, this like bale of tears could be over. And, um, I don't know if you ever run into people that talk like that, but I do. Um, and it seems to me very non-Catholic, you know, like Maximilian Colby was singing in the starvation bunker, you know, there's no more, this is not how God wants it, but it's okay than that. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, I'll, I don't have like any deep thoughts on it. Um, but I like your synopsis and I, it's funny cause I am like, I, I like the, 
and I think this is just the the wisdom garnered from uh, from the church through the ages. But I just I'm attracted to the pragmatism in it as as well. But what I mean by that is like when I say pragmatism, like just like honest assessment of human nature of like that just seems in my very limited experience of reality and the concrete place and time that I'm from like that's it man that's that's what's real um is anyway um I'm, I'm that's processing what's real. That's, that's what's real, real. and that, like if say for example uh, when you sit down, and you look at you know your your ugly churches and your bad liturgies, and you're like, man, if only we were this was the '50s, um, or the '30s, or whatever golden age you you imagine. Um, That's if, such garbage. If and you sorry. were there yeah. in the '30s or '50s, you would think like, yeah, man, um, dang, we just finished killing millions of people in Europe, and we're about to do it again. Um, you know, the heart of Christendom is just decaying. Uh, it's, which is why people, you know, part of the reason why people reacted and changed and, you know, I'm not saying that this, that any of this stuff that we react to, you know, shouldn't be addressed and fixed. But, um, that's what my point is like, you can either, you can either jump in and get into the stream of reality as it is, or try to live in some imagined past that doesn't exist anymore or some glorious future that doesn't and will never exist you know um and it's hard to live in reality in the present like i don't do it all the time i definitely don't i'm living in the future when this chapel is done <laughs> you know uh like living in the complicated red tape and fundraising and stuff of like what's actually asked of me every day that's why it's so important to pray a holy hour every day like, this is my offering to you, God. You're not asking me to fix everything and make something perfect. You're asking me to serve you and be your friend. Yeah, I think that, yeah, having a Christocentricity to it um, helps to wade through the waters of what is and, and what's not. Um, yeah, because you know, similar to the, to the Colby thing is like Christ crucified. Um, there's no better example than this is not, <laughs> that this is not the way that it should be. Uh, this is not how God wants it. And, and yet it's okay. And, and so like, this is the Lord's will in and through the messy reality. Uh, and if you try to wade through that to figure out, um, where am I supposed to put forth my effort and where does the Lord want to bring in light? Like, well, without Christ, you know, that's, it's a exercise in futility because he's the one who's going to bring about the kingdom and trying to do it without him or trying to bring in more than he wants. Uh, both are going to end up in trouble to some extent. They're all going to get out of hand because yeah, I mean, Christ is the ultimate reality and trying to bring about his kingdom without him is going to be trouble for sure. Um, so, and that's why, Rob, I kind of like your initial response is like discernment, aka prayer, 
you know, if we're trying to do, if we're trying to live like Christians without Christ, then it's going to get weird and distorted and um, inhuman, mostly. Uh, So trying to do it with Jesus, which seems so simple, but it's also like the most, that's, that's the call. If, if I get up and do a holy hour each day, then, uh, you know, that's the best chance that I have to, to be a little bit of light in my particular circumstance and situation. I've always thought about this. I've never, I haven't ever preached on this before because I don't think I understand it well enough or if this analogy makes enough sense. Um, but I mean, hell, heck, the, the podcast will be a great place to, <laughs> to test it, it out. out. Yeah. Um, have you ever had that experience where um, you have heard of a song? If you tried to speak out the words, you wouldn't be able to do it. Mm. But then you hear the song and you can kind of sing along with it. And it's a it's a bizarre experience because you're like, I literally don't know it's coming, but if I keep up with the song, then the right thing will come out, and and I actually do know more of the song than I realize. But it's like that the rhythm and the tempo and the sound and the instruments and this musical part of us helps us to remember, like the Gloria. I couldn't. I couldn't say the Gloria in Latin if my life depended on it, but I can sing the whole Gloria. I have no idea what the words are, but then when I get into the melody of it, it just flows naturally. And I think that's something like Pax Hominibus. Ore voluntatis. <laughs> that's. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I've always thought it. that's a good analogy for for prayer. So it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I couldn't tell you, you know, what's uh, what I need to focus on and what I need to let go. But if I like stay with this song, if I come back and and learn to sing with the Lord, like sit in that melody, then I just have to stay right here in this moment. And whatever comes, comes. There's going to be like a naturalness to it. And I'm going to know what I need to know because I know the song. I know the song that the Lord's singing and I can recognize his voice and hear his words. Um, and it's great. Cause like, yeah, similarly, I don't know what the words are, but I know the voice that sings those words. And so if I try to sing with him, like live with him, then whatever comes, comes. Huh. I, I haven't like thought that about analogy. that, but I do like it. It's because I'm such a good singer. Yeah. I mean, it's in a way, it's kind of like conversation too. You don't, if you go into a conversation thinking, okay, he's going to say this and I'm going to say that. And there's a spontaneity to it that it requires you to both be fluent in the language, but also flexible enough to be surprised even by something, sometimes what you, you say, you know, in mm. response to what somebody else says. Um, hmm. Dang, I would like to keep going on that. I got to go, though, fellas. There's a lot there. Maybe we'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah, maybe we'll 
come back. Totally. We can, we'll totally we can plan out the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'll write the script. <clears throat> cool. Like we you remember when we used to do that really early on the podcast that it was all scripted. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That took so much more work. Dude, write the script and then tweet it to me. I'll t- <laughs> Live. <laughs> I'll tweet I'll tweet the script to you. And then we'll be hashtagging. That sounds really, really savvy. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, dudes. Good to yep. talk. We'll talk at three on Clubhouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll be on right. Clubhouse. I'll put in the and- description the link for anybody who wants to join us today if you're listening before this. This is I, Wednesday. This is Wednesday. If you're okay. listening to this like 100 years into the future. Yeah. Whoa. Clubhouse is long gone. The internet turned into basically Skynet, and now we're Dude. all slaves to it. And we're like Bill and Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, you think they'll come back and get us? Dude, maybe. <laughs> and we end awesome. up bringing about world peace by our awesome rock and roll? Yes. Wild okay, Skies. hey, also, also, the Word on Fire blog is going to be posting an article. From, oh, tomorrow. It's, the first release of hot our, off the press. This is hot off the press, never, never before published or read or seen. Father Seabisk, Danstrom. Um, which 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 one of your articles are you are they publishing? Make your bed. Which Make is your a bed. totally warmed over idea from other people, but I the first of our long-awaited essays hits yeah. the internet Thursday. My Internet. goodness. And then I'll also post, uh, if anybody still wants to join me for music in Blue Island, June 19th, I'll put all those links in the description. In the description? Yeah. All right. Special thanks today to the Thompson family and Tide Bleach. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Later, skaters. See ya. Peace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.